Hi there, I'm Virginia. And I'm Jess. And we're here to welcome you to episode 8 of Spark Minds, the podcast about creativity. Today we're going to talk about creativity and artificial intelligence. So, I guess before we kind of really kick off this topic, a good question is how do you feel about kind of machine learning and artificial intelligence in general? Are you are you one of those kind of excited about it or more like oh god, the robot overlords are going to take over everything? <laughs> it is it's a big question, isn't it? Um I don't know, definitely looking at the way things are at the moment, I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical of uh kind of the view of uh, how uh, capable AI is of like solving larger problems instantaneously. But, you know, I think at the moment it's more like, oh, we can train it to, you know, automate tasks and stuff like that. But, you know, the kind of, uh, I guess, like Skynet comparisons are, <laughs> are a long way away, <laughs> but um, it does make sense to kind of, have some caution as well because I mean I mean that's maybe that's where I sit in in terms of this <laughs> the scale we're talking about here is that uh you know <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of work to be done to kind of uh you know <clears throat> sorry god <laughs> the ethics of um you know what AI should be allowed to be capable of I suppose I think that's fair. Um, I'm not in technology myself, so I feel like I'm quite far away from it in the sense of like, I don't I don't really understand how far the technology has mm-hmm. evolved. Obviously, I think we've all experienced to a certain extent in our day to day lives already, like speaking with chat, bo- like customer service chat boxes mm-hmm. on the Internet and stuff. And, you know, they're never they never feel particularly sophisticated. <laughs> so you're ne- I can't say that I've talked to a chat box online and been like, yep. This this thing's gonna gonna take over the world, but then I don't really know how far you know the the technology has evolved. So I I don't know how much is there to be worried about, and certainly there are like lots of people who are quite worried about where yeah. it could go. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely in terms of you kind of want to watch the process of of how how AI develops um, to make sure that you know it doesn't go in the direction of uh, you know. <laughs> future um and it, you know i think a lot of the the way that you do that is by being somewhat preemptive <laughs> and kind of you know ass- assessing what you're, what is being done along the way rather than just kind of going oh well this is just a thought experiment <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like oh whoops the thought experience experiment is now like a real thing that has control over a lot of a lot yeah. of <laughs> Um, and I guess before we dig into whether whether we believe that robots can be creative or whether we believe that machines can be creative, um, what what do we mean exactly by AI? Like, what what would be your definition of um, it? I mean, I suppose my general understanding is it kind of comes down to um, machine learning. So it's kind of just, you know, feeding a computer just a massive data set to kind of work out, um, you know, the patterns within it to... Uh, you know, perform some kind of specific task you want it to do or make some predictions based on your existing data. Um, I mean, you can kind of expand that into, uh, I guess, what people would call a neural network. It's kind of, the, I think the, the way that people look at it is kind of based on on the understanding of like how the brain makes connections between different bits, different bits of information. So um, I guess it kind of is, mm, 
people perceive it as that you map out your data into an understanding of patterns to then use the patterns to carry out tasks. You know, for instance, with deep learning, it's I think is is an expansion of like these neural networks with even more data. That makes sense. And um, that's kind of obviously, again, complete layperson, but that's also kind of been my understanding of what it is. It's like there's there's an algorithm. It's taught to kind of recognize certain patterns and to use the data to kind of, I guess, figure mm-hmm. things out. And to your point, I guess most of the time, a specific task, right? Like it's not usually kind of given free reign to do yeah, just anything. Yeah, exactly. It has to. It's usually quite um, specific. So, yeah, no, uh, no Skynet as of yet. But um, the, <laughs> you know, they have like speech recognition or something like that, or um, I guess predicting patterns um, in I think just various things like uh, molecular structures. Yeah, and I guess that's been kind of some of the the back and forth, right, as to, well, you know, AI and just generally speaking, kind of automation, machine learning, a lot of this will replace quite a lot of jobs. So I think that's also the fear that comes from the the kind of like mm-hmm. Skynet robots are taking over the world. It's not just of like, oh, God, we have to welcome our new <laughs> robot overlords. It's also potentially <laughs> a whole host mm-hmm. of unemployment or I mean, definitely a very changed, I think, um, landscape mm-hmm. for work. Um, but I guess then the, the counter to that is, well, are there some jobs that AI just mm-hmm. can't do? And one of the things I think that people usually hold up as an example of something that it can't do is be creative and I guess this is an episode where I want to kind of explore that a little bit like can Mm -hmm. it be creative guess it depends on how we're defining creativity (laughs) (laughs) what are your thoughts on it in terms of just just off the cuff like I mean yeah it really it really does depend on on the on the definition of creativity right because if we're looking at the definition that we kind of co- just covered for what AI is, um, you're feeding it perhaps a very specific data set. Whereas I think with human creativity, the kind of way that we look at it is that it can just extrapolate to so many different things that it just feels very hard to kind of replicate in you know in in this manner if you're basing it on pre-existing data rather than I don't know maybe to me it doesn't seem perhaps as potentially reactive but yeah Mm. I think that makes sense um there's also a lot of the because I was doing some research for Mm -hmm. this episode and it seemed like a lot of the papers that were kind of talking about creativity and AI use like a very specific definition of creativity it's like okay if we define creativity as um like okay so this is a definition that i've covered in a previous Mm -hmm. episode so one of the kind of very frequently used definitions of creativity at least in kind of any literature to do with it is producing novel combinations of familiar ideas or producing something novel but that's Mm -hmm. also useful um and i have here by exploring the potential of conceptual spaces and or by making transformations that enable the generation of previously Mm -hmm. impossible ideas. So a lot of the literature I'm reading about creativity and AI have some very like specific definitions of what they consider to be creativity. And under Mm -hmm. these definitions, 
you could then say that um, like a machine learning or AI kind of algorithm is yeah, creative, yes, right? Yeah, like if you're feeding it a lot of data and you're asking to, to produce a novel combination of these mm. previous data sets, then it can do something like that. Yeah. Um, making transformations that enable the generation of previously impossible mm -hmm. ideas. I guess this one's a bit harder, but then um, I know there's a very famous kind of AlphaGo uh, computer, right? That plays. Um, so Go is a is a kind of ancient Chinese, yeah, board game, and I think there's this a very famous case of the. Um, AlphaGo computer beating a, a world kind mm -hmm. of champion at it. And I actually have a quote from Lee Seidel, who's a Korean player who played against it, who said, you know, I thought AlphaGo was based on probability calculation and it was merely a machine. But then I saw this move. I changed my mind. Surely AlphaGo mm -hmm. is creative, which I thought was interesting because that means it, it came because it came up with a move that I think most of the champions had never seen yeah. before. Yeah, that, I guess it would be quite unexpected. Um, again, also based on uh, the definition we gave, it's not really what you would expect to see as an example of <laughs> of AI in action. Yeah, but then I guess it's it's um I guess the question is as well of like okay, so AlphaGo can be creative because it's coming up with like an impossible move that you know masters at this mm -hmm. game had never seen before but then it's also very kind of i guess task specific right it's like this one yeah. thing it can do <laughs> or at least yeah. as far as we're aware <laughs> it's not like composing a symphony yeah, exactly. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i mean in in a kind of like a similar way of unexpected uh you know novelty from an ai you have um the uh, example of uh, was it with the uh, Facebook AI that um, created its its own more efficient version of English? Oh. That, yeah, I'm, wo I'm wondering what a more efficient version of English. Yeah, I mean, sounds it, like. <laughs> it's strange. I, I I couldn't. I can't seem to find an example, but it was apparently pretty much an unintelligible <laughs> uh, but it was just you know the I guess this Facebook AI was either talking to itself or talking to another instance of the AI and yeah it created its own version of English to just express things much more quickly and uh, they shut it down <laughs> we need to stop this before it goes any further <laughs> Although speaking of um, Facebook and AI, I saw a really, really funny article um, about the, I think Facebook has a, has a bot and let me find oh, this Oh, this is the, uh... oh, Blender bot. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently on the internet they decided to put together like um put two kind of ai powered bots on a date just to see kind of whether you know whether you could possibly you know who's the most realistic human <laughs> basically <laughs> um so you had facebook yeah. blender bot 
and then um Kuki, which is who owns Kuki? So Kuki, the Kuki bot is okay. So Blenderbot was built by mm-hmm. Facebook's AI division, and is a culmination of years of research into conversational AI. Um, Facebook didn't sanction its use in the competition, but it is oh. open source. Um, and so they put this kind of open source bot in a conversation mm-hmm. with another bot. And just it just kind of let it run, basically, and see what kind of conversation mm-hmm. they would have. Um and I don't know, the like the article is pretty hilarious. Like I, I was reading it, it was just really funny because it's just like the things that they would say. And I'm I'm currently dating at the moment, so I guess I can empathize with the <laughs> the conversation between Blenderbot and Kookie is full of sentences <laughs> that go nowhere. <laughs> Both are disarmingly polite and full of enthusiasm, and they know a thing or two about human values, albeit in a rather cliched form. Kindness is a virtue, says Cookie more than once. <laughs> Um, but they aren't at any point really connecting with each other and it would be impossible for any person to be fooled into thinking they're human. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of that was where it's quoting one of the one of the kind of parts mm-hmm. of the conversation. Um, and where the two don't shy away from controversy, variously discussing Brexit, killing celebrities and Hitler, described by Blunderbot as a quote unquote, like quote, great man, unquote. Who had helped him through, quote, a oh lot God. of hard times, unquote. <laughs> he also rather cheerily tells Kuki that he has, quote, killed many people in my life. Followed up politely with, quote, how about you? Which I just, <laughs> you can see it, right? Like, you can see, you can see this first Oh, pick. my goodness. You just, oh, no. Um. So yeah, so that article made me yeah. a lot. <laughs> a list of red flags, one oh one. Serial killer yeah. cannot go on a second date with. Oh no. But I guess for me, the this conversation, or at least what it seems to me, is the the bots that we have kind of at, or at least at the mm. level that we have them now. Um, and I think the conversation kind of highlights to me where where AI might be lacking a little bit in the realms of creativity is is mm-hmm. kind of understanding meaning, right? Because there's this conversation that goes nowhere, essentially because neither of them really understand really mm-hmm. what the other person is saying or even what the, they themselves <laughs> right, are saying. Yeah. yeah, there's a you can kind of tell that there's a bit of a, a disconnect between um like both sides of the conversation yeah yeah when we think of creativity again it's it's also kind Mm. of context specific right like what's considered you know artistically novel and interesting and and worthwhile or or you know innovative in any culture is also dependent on how Mm -hmm. how useful people find it whether that's like purely utilitarian use or whether they find it aesthetically beautiful or meaningful or whatever. And, and so that's quite, I guess, difficult to code. I mean, you have, I guess, if you're feeding mm-hmm. this bot lots of data, you can probably feed it a data set that gives 
and I guess that's one of the ethical mm-hmm. concerns with AI, right? Like, yeah. if you're feeding it biased data, then you have a, a machine that's learning to to be, I don't know, like discriminatory, maybe mm-hmm. on a racial basis or mm-hmm. on a gender basis, like, because it's just going off the data. So if the mm-hmm. data is biased, then the outcome of mm-hmm. the kind of process will be biased. Um, so you could, in that sense, give it a data set to help it understand things yeah. like, I guess, meaning and cultural significance. But I, it sounds like that would be quite difficult. I'm thinking particularly of things like mm-hmm. symbolism or, you know, in in China, mm-hmm. white is a mourning color. Mm-hmm. In the West, black is a mourning color. So how do you, you know, there are things that mm-hmm. are coded in particular contexts and how how would you teach an AI to yeah, understand that? Yeah, that's that? quite interesting, actually. Um, in the point you're making is it it feels like any any result of trying to make an AI understand creativity will inherently be sub- subjective. I guess it's kind of like if you think of <laughs> if we succeed past um, you know <laughs> biases of like a uh, an intolerant nature. Um, the yeah, when we look at the possibilities it's like whenever whenever you, you have you know different people looking at something and thinking you know okay what will you make based off of you know this inspiration right in theory you will get a different mm. response from each person right and mm. i guess it's it, it's interesting because we're if we're understanding ai as like um you know a sophisticated brain i think it's still we need to account for the idea that well, there's probably going to have to be some kind of characterization there in the way that it responds, right? Yeah, it simply won't be... Uh, I'm failing to find the word here, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it will, it, will, it will be subjective at the end of the day, just like any human attempting something creative. And I guess there's... Um, I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. personality almost, right? Like do we like if we wanted to Mm -hmm. to program a a creative robot like okay i want this robot to this is the artist robot it's going to come it can compose music or write a novel or whatever so much of i guess how we perceive the world how we understand things is also Mm -hmm. linked to our past experiences which i guess for the for Mm -hmm. the ai bot would be their data set but then also the your personality Mm -hmm. and your filters right which I guess mm-hmm. for them would be the the algorithm. So are you are you writing into the algorithm as well, like personality traits? I'm thinking of like in in social sciences, you have the big five personality traits, which are things mm-hmm. like conscientiousness, openness, neuroticism. Um, what is the other one? Oh, mm-hmm. Extroversion or introversion? Um, you know, like are you are you programming? the bot to be an extrovert that's slightly neurotic and very I mean, very open-minded quite like <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, especially in terms of outcome? maybe um I guess, I guess it kind of depends on on what the output is right um because i suppose mm. in in terms of if we're talking about art such as you know the the uh, a bot that would make some kind of painting right we're probably talking about things mm. in terms of like stylistic technique right but if you think of it in terms of like if we were talking about a bot that would write a novel you might decide that 
it will take a certain perspective on on different themes right and that would mm. come out into the writing I guess is kind of what I'm referring to but then I suppose maybe it was a very human thing to then kind of imprint some kind of personality on such a thing as a result based on the way uh, yeah. it is perceived to be behaving <laughs> yeah and then I guess aside from personality and that kind of filter which I mean it sounds like mm-hmm. if you wanted to you could do it right mm-hmm. like you could program that into a robot um but then there's stuff like you know we're as humans we're constantly mm-hmm. kind of evolving and growing and affected by mm-hmm. our our context as well so like the political context mm-hmm. social context cultural context um and in kind of one of the articles mm-hmm. I was reading it was saying that well AI will always only ever be used to augment creativity mm-hmm. rather than just kind of purely create because a lot of you know because AI mm-hmm. is using a, a past data set it can only mm-hmm. create something based on the past whereas human novelty is sometimes looking towards the future in a way that yes is kind of unpredictable yeah, yeah no I would, I would largely um agree with that in in the sense it's it's I guess it's kind of like I was saying earlier, it's like the the way that we understand AI to be functioning at the moment to create seems to be incapable of like extrapolating into possibilities in in the way that like humans are able to do. Because you might not have mm. like an explicit connection between something that may inspire yeah. someone to imagine some kind of possibility in terms of like shooting something out there like a you know, writing a future dystopian novel. Right. Whereas, Mm. you know, maybe you could very successfully uh, give an AI examples of existing uh, future dystopian novels and then it could spit out one for you (laughs) in all the things that you gave it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it can imagine something like different based on the current context because of the data set that it already has based on existing novels. Yeah. Some of the the examples given in this paper were quite funny. So it says, mm-hmm. um, think of the fashion industry, for example, or of rogue memes like the back-to-front baseball cap. I love that that's described <laughs> as a <Yeah>. rogue meme. <laughs> but it's true, I guess. Like, how how would you predict that mm-hmm. that would be a thing people would suddenly decide mm-hmm. is, is novel and fashionable <laughs> in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> And then other examples they gave were Bach, Mozart, Dunn were all ignored or criticized kind of during certain periods or in their lifetime. So, you know, human creativity has the element of being able to take something kind of completely outside of, I guess. What is known, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. What is known or I mm. mean, I'm thinking with with an AI bot, you know, it's it's reliant on mm-hmm. whatever data set it's fed to it so unless it's then because as humans mm-hmm. we're we're out and about in the world right so we're not just on the internet because the internet has a lot of yeah. knowledge, but it's also not the world <laughs> um so you can understand a lot of things about the world by scrolling on the internet but then mm-hmm. there's also you know lived experience there's actually going out to a park or going out to the sea there's like all these different mm-hmm. real life human experiences that also impact our creativity and our ability mm-hmm. to to think of what the future could be whereas a, a robot's always reliant on what data sets being fed mm-hmm. to it or what mm-hmm. data set it has access to which i guess is not that different from a human like 
you're you're also kind of limited <laughs> by your meat suit <laughs> body <laughs> but um i feel like it's it allows for different information or data to, yeah to be absorbed yeah it's like um there are many opportunities to take different different inspirations i guess to repurpose mm. that into something creative in in terms of output yeah Whereas, yeah, with an AI, it's like it has to, it feels like it has to be quite specific. You could not have like a general, like, uh, well, as things are now, as far as I understand them, you could not have a generalization of different things, such as, I don't know, um, specific childhood experiences that are accompanied by, you know, things that you see in the current political context, then resulting in something else as like um, a commentary on potential political futures in fiction yeah and i guess that that ties mm-hmm. back again as well to like meaning right like as humans we always want to attribute meaning to things that's why you know historically we mm-hmm. you know if you look at the birth of religions the birth of symbols and stuff we we're we're mm-hmm. inherently kind of mm-hmm. seeking meaning in everything that we do um and what you said reminded me of so there's um virgil abloh is mm-hmm. a creative director for louis vuitton he's he has mm-hmm. his own company, Off White. He's also a DJ, and when you look at his fashion collections, like it's a lot inspired mm-hmm. by his childhood, but also his experiences mm-hmm. as a black man, as a Ghanaian man, um, mm-hmm. and you know all of these things that make him him, and are mm-hmm. inextricably tied to his output as a creative. And that's kind of something that I guess would be hard, mm-hmm. for, and you know that's also why people resonate with it, right? Like, none of us can be Virgil. None of us have Virgil's childhood or Virgil's mm-hmm. um, background or anything like that. But when people see his work mm-hmm. and they see the meaning that's attributed to it, which is stuff like, you know, diversity, inclusion, they they can resonate with that. And so there's a shared meaning that, mm-hmm. that, that creates an emotional connection mm-hmm. and that make people want to buy into this. Whereas with an AI robot, like... Mm-hmm. You know, as we've established yeah. from Blenderbot and Cookie, the, the, yes, the understanding yeah. of meaning is fairly shallow. And then, you know, there's no there's no human history or human experience to have a shared meaning to relate to. So you could feed an AI robot, I guess, a mm-hmm. lot of music and tell it, ask mm-hmm. it to produce like a, a bestseller, mm-hmm. like a chart topper. Or, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's like, okay, like, produce emo yeah. music, and I'm sure they could listen to, like, <laughs> <laughs> Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance and produce something similar. But then, you know, what, would it have the same emotional resonance yeah. if it's lacking the meaning? Yeah, indeed. It's, um, it kind of reminds me, again, of what I was saying, almost attributing some kind of personality, or I guess, like, it would be even further saying, uh, um, attributing some kind of identity to an AI as an entity to create mm. the sense of emotional connection. Maybe maybe that is where it goes. You have a fictional person yeah. who is actually an AI. I mean, <laughs> this feels like we're heading into uh, Tsune Miku territory. I've, uh, that's not really... I don't know much about Tsune uh, <laughs> Miku apart from the fact that she is not a real person. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well that's the thing right they're they're creating a lot of robots that kind of are meant 
to look human and speak human and kind of programmed personalities and it's a little <laughs> bit uncanny valley territory um Yuval Noah Harari talks a lot about AI and technology so he as a historian he's like okay you know there are a lot of people who are big proponents of of technology and where it's going so as a historian I want to take mm-hmm. the other side and be a bit more skeptical of it and he, you know he was talking about how to the point of emotional resonance like you could you could probably program a robot to mm-hmm. to understand or at least to recognize mm-hmm. and mimic emotions right and that's a bit of a mm-hmm. scary thought so like if it recognizes and mimics emotions but doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily understand the meaning behind it like and this was one of the things he was talking about like we were thinking of jobs like mm-hmm. customer service retail um mm-hmm. things are in inherently kind of human jobs or so we think but then human people have our biases mm-hmm. of course and our days where we feel shitty and stuff and if you could have a robot that could recognize emotions mm-hmm. and mimic the right emotional response would you need a human then to do it if the human isn't going to be always 100% percent yeah that's actually quite interesting it's um, not something I'd actually considered before mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's extrapolating it quite far, right? Because as as we yeah. see with Blunderbot, like it's not there yet. <laughs> um, but it was just something that, like, it was funny because until I'd read that, I hadn't even considered that mm-hmm. that could be a possibility. Because for me, it was just a given that like human interaction and social interaction is so yeah. fundamentally human that it couldn't be replicated by a robot. But it's like, well, you could. What if you could program a robot to? To like, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got facial recognition software now, right? So recognize faces, understand that this Mm -hmm. facial expression means sad, this means happy, this means something Mm -hmm. else, and and respond accordingly. (laughs) And then I guess the question is, what what would then be the difference? And does that robot then have the potential to create something? Yeah, I guess it would be, we're talking about possibly like the result of a very, very, very long journey, wouldn't it? Because then it's it's connecting up different different parts mm. of this process because it, I, I suppose we could say yes um you know if it could recognize an emotion and mimic it then that seems like a possibility but then i suppose if it mimicking an emotion is one thing but then in terms of like the i don't know ethically it may not um quite be the same as well if, you, if for instance you know you see yeah. you have an ai and it's like okay this ai can understand emotions and mimic them and replicate them and give a response but then not necessarily uh i don't know understand that somebody's i don't know one person's sad expression about something may not e- exactly be equal to another in terms of the gravity of a situation <laughs> kind of mm. what i'm picturing right now <laughs> no yeah yeah like i guess someone being sad mm-hmm. that their amazon delivery didn't arrive on time or someone yeah, being sad exactly. that they, yeah, they lost their a, job or... i mean it's an interesting point because i mean i suppose the argument here is that you imagining even further like into this process if like as if you had infinite time and resources would this be possible mm-hmm. and i mean it seems like potentially the answer is yes and it's very but it's very p- hard to picture based on what is known yeah but it's interesting mm-hmm. about the the ethical and moral component right because you've all Noah Harari was kind of joking like <laughs> well, 
this would open up a whole new industry for philosophers and, <laughs> you know, actually programming a, a set of ethical or moral principles into an AI bot. Um, but actually, out of curiosity, I, I've been mm -hmm. uh, spending some time on the DeepMind website. So they're the um, Google-affiliated mm -hmm. company who created AlphaGo and all these other AI bots. And actually, the, it's quite kind of extensively written all over the website, if you want, that they're, they do see mm -hmm. that they have an ethical and moral responsibility mm -hmm. with regards to the research that they do mm -hmm. and the projects that they create. And actually, they currently have an opening Ooh. for a research scientist on fairness as part of their ethics and society department. So that was interesting. So the, mm -hmm. the role requirement isn't that you're a philosopher, but the idea is that you will be conducting peer-reviewed research on ethics and or societal impact of AI systems. And they desire you to have a PhD in quantitative social science field, political science, economics, wow. or sociology and applied statistics, or experience in a public interest research institute, think tank, mm -hmm. or equivalent industry role. So interesting. There are roles. Yeah, it is. Oh, I was actually um, actually quite surprised by that. <laughs> but I mean, that seems like a, a good step in the right direction, because <laughs> I think maybe, generally speaking, as an industry, like tech is um, much more focused on like the doing, the building of things, and maybe not so much on kind of like the mm. consequences or potential consequences of something before you build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, don't know, I think that's definitely a step in the right direction um, because, yeah, when it, okay, I guess, kind of ha as we kicked off with uh, this episode with, um, the the idea is that you kind of want to be observing um the ethical boundaries of everything as you go rather than build it first and ask questions later <laughs> like i was kind of i mean surprised and not surprised because i was mm -hmm. wondering like okay so you've all know harari kind of made this joke but i was like well surely there must be some kind of consideration for this sort of thing right especially yeah. with everyone joking about robot overlords so so but it was really interesting to see that roles like that does exist and that there's a whole department for it and i just felt like i really would love to meet these yeah. people and spend time with them they sound like they yeah, have fascinating I think, jobs um and i generally uh it's it's interesting to kind of see these um roles turning up in you know as a kind of associated roles in in creating um, technical solutions, particularly for AI, because I think as a result, we kind of get a much um, kind of um, a, I don't know, more ethically sound <laughs> solution to various problems. So I don't know, it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see, actually. I think, you know, coming back to creativity and all of this, like, I, I don't... I think there's an interesting mm -hmm. interplay between ethics, morality, and creativity. Like, I d like you don't need mm -hmm. to be ethically or morally mm -hmm. sound to be creative, right? Like, those are two separate skills. Mm -hmm. But if we come back to this idea of meaning and, and the meaning we infuse mm -hmm. things with, I think most people who create stuff infuse it with a meaning that mm -hmm. links to their own ideas of ethics and morality. Uh, it would be interesting mm -hmm. to to see how that also has an impact. So in terms of the research, they said that 
there are kind of two major bottlenecks around mm. AI being fully creative. So one is domain expertise, which is required for mapping mm-hmm. the conceptual space that is to be explored and or transformed. And two, valuation of the results, which is especially necessary and especially difficult for transformational programs. Um, these two bottlenecks interact since subtle valuation requires considerable domain expertise. Valuation thus far is mostly implicit in the generative procedures used by the program, blah, blah, blah. Only a few AI models can critically judge their own original ideas, which I guess is oh, also yeah. the other difference with human beings, right? Like, I think we're, I mean, I don't know, though. Mm-hmm. We're, we're inherently quite critical of our own output, I think. And think of like, okay, mm-hmm. how has this impacted other people? What do other people think of it? How do I improve on it? Again, taking Blenderbot. <laughs> I think Blenderbot was like my bashing stick for the entire evening. But like, he clearly did not think about <laughs> how how his um, comments are impacting other I mean, people. Yeah, that's, that's also actually a very <laughs> another very interesting point. I mean, we're talking about almost like pretty much self awareness at this point, right? Um, you know, uh, yeah. I guess the, the example being the self-awareness of being able to evaluate our own creative output, um, whether an AI can do that or not and understand kind of, well, what am I adding to this kind of maybe conversation, for instance, um, you know, or things that should not should not be said, <laughs> for instance. Um, which obviously for Blenderbot, we can kind of see that there is no filter. Um, <laughs> so that is, yeah, it is interesting to look at it from the perspective as well. Yeah, the limitation of AI in not being self-aware to understand, yeah, what 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 is adding to a conversation or what is adding, um, you know, creative value rather than just spinning up something and putting you know, putting it out there without seeing kind of what what it what it is what it does in comparison to mm. or what could be i think i have a kind of final like quote um so researcher Oliniak says creativity is hardly mm. possible without one's capacity to think metaphorically to coordinate proactively and to make predictions that go mm-hmm. beyond simple extrapolation, which is kind of what we said earlier, right? Like you can give a whole mm-hmm. bunch of data set and they'll reproduce something based on the data set, but it doesn't allow for the possibility right, yeah. of something that that doesn't come from the data set at all, right? So like thinking of mm-hmm. the art world where you had like mm-hmm. the impressionists and all this, which was like really radical at the time, you know, and all of this kind of art and mm-hmm. then 20th century happens the world first world war happens and then you get like dadaism <laughs> right it's like something just completely like jarring and different because the world had lost its completely yeah. like lost its meaning right everything had gone to shit so then the art world had also reflected that and and how can a mm-hmm. bot creating something based on the past yeah. be able to do, That's a, create something like that point is like you're <laughs> You'd almost need a crossover of like, you know, ethical understanding and human connection, as well as um, ability to recreate what is considered like creative talent in terms of you know, interesting prose or something like that, right? You 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 need a, a 
like a cross section of all these things working in tandem. Like an understanding yes. of the like the yes, zeitgeist, right? Exactly. Like what's going on right now. <laughs> Uh, so then it goes at best then ai can mimic creativity replicating reappropriating and mm. ultimately augmenting existing human outputs so I, then i think you know looking now towards like what does a realistic future for humans look mm-hmm. if ai can you know can be creative um and i guess one of one of the things that it will look like is actually not overtaking humans and creativity mm. but actually being used to yeah, augment I think human creativity that is probably the kind of the more realistic um on it um so i think i remember reading somewhere that um mm. you know one example of this is you know i guess if you're trying to uh, write a song for instance and you know um an artist could basically hand over their entire backlog to um an ai as a data set right and you know get then get the ai to um mm. you know give several examples of potential drum beats that they would like to use in the in in, in a new com- you know in a new composition right um of how i understood it because then you could try and you know think for a long time and then try and come up with something new but you have you you can use ai to kind of speed up the process by giving you these building blocks you know things you've made before to start that process the i think and most kind of articles i've read seems to suggest Mm -hmm. that like that that seems to be more where it's going and i think particularly for things like marketing and creative agencies where you know they there's also a Mm -hmm. an element of like okay how will how will people react to this well (laughs) if you give an ai a data set you can probably figure it out um there are lots of different perspectives on it Mm -hmm. um so there's an author i really like Mm -hmm. called mark manson who's basically like we should welcome (laughs) it like (laughs) we should welcome our robot overlords (laughs) and he says you know it it will probably free us from work and therefore Mm -hmm. you know are automated and mm-hmm. it removes human, like shitty human bias, basically. You know, this could actually be a good thing for for humanity, and maybe we can be human <laughs> beings instead of human <laughs> doings, nine to five <laughs> jobs. <laughs> Which I think is an interesting perspective, and I think it's also kind of Absolutely. linked to the idea of like mm-hmm. universal basic income, right? Like if everyone exactly, had that's, their basic that, needs met, quite, uh... what would humanity be doing you know, it's quite a powerful thing to say considering how how much of i guess uh this is like making a very general statement but in 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 society even just around the world the the assumption of like work providing meaning um but if you're in a scenario where mm. there is very little work to be done um in the way that we understand it in terms of you know yeah work shifts nine to five and it's more i don't know Ad hoc. So yeah, more, I was like, I don't know like, anyone. Ad hoc in terms of, really. <laughs> um, well, you just, I don't know, maintain the various systems that are responsible for automation. Um, then what do you do with the rest of your time? You know, surely there is something that humanity could be doing as a whole that would be far more interesting. <laughs> um, I'm also thinking of. You know, the more things become automated, 
maybe there'll be a greater perceived value of of human kind of not just human interaction because I really hope like I know there's a lot of kind <laughs> of doom scrolling around how we've all lost our <laughs> skills and we don't know how to interact with people other than through a phone but like you know I, I hope it doesn't really like the the emergence of robots that can be programmed with personalities doesn't mm-hmm. really feed into that I hope we still continue talking to people but you know I think there might be a greater perceived mm-hmm. value of of human creation right which is already kind of the case mm-hmm. if you think of the luxury industry and if you think of something like watches right like a mm-hmm. a quartz watch which is just a battery powered watch or a digital watch like you know it's more efficient but it doesn't have the the kind of soul that mm-hmm. like um an automatic watch made by hand with cogs and wheels does right so there mm-hmm. you know there's already this kind of premium i guess on on things that are handcrafted or handmade um maybe we could see a more like a an in, like an even bigger kind of perceived value yeah. of human yeah that, that, that would be quite interesting especially considering that you know something that's automated is is you know perceived in terms of efficiency right but it's uh i guess yeah the the you could see almost the value coming from like oh well this is <laughs> this sounds that sounds quite dark but it's like this actually was you know conceived by a sentient being um <laughs> Used it with time. meaning and, and history and story <laughs> and all of this. Yeah. <laughs> they put their 10,000 hours in. a long time in. to develop the <laughs> Just some things that could change with the rise of AI. There was a really... I didn't see the whole thing. I just saw mm. bits of it. Um, conversation between Jack Ma and Elon Musk as to whether... <laughs> whether we should fear our robot overlords or not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Elon Musk, I'm not sure I'd trust much that Elon Musk says, mm-hmm. though. But, like, he, he's very much in the Skynet is coming. Be, be wary. <laughs> Whereas Jack Ma is more like, yeah, chill, it's fine. Humans, you know, will still be around and we still have value to yeah, add. Yeah, I think that the truth is somewhere between, a robot can. like, in the middle of these two stances. <laughs> Um, I think you're right. I do think we need to have a healthy <laughs> dose of skepticism for our future yeah. robot overlords. <laughs> Wrapping that up, you know, given all that, what can you do to prepare for the impending AI revolution so that you're not <laughs> having to bow down to robot overlords? Of in. You know, number one, think of the role AI could play in your industry or area of expertise in the future. How can you use this to your advantage? Number two, digging in the things that make you you. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, really leaning into what makes us human Mm -hmm. and what makes us different and special. Special, like a snowflake. No, but like, I think there's a really good book I read um, and it Mm -hmm. talked about you know, functional people versus vital people. And it said, you know, functional people do the job and they do it well, but ultimately, if they had to be replaced, they could be. And vital people, you know, mm-hmm. even just hearing that word vital, like they bring vitality, they bring something else. There's like a, a spark of life there that mm. that's different and that's harder to replace. 
And I guess it's digging into what makes you vital Mm -hmm. and what, you know, what is it about you that brings vitality to whatever it is you do and and leaning into that. Um, And then number three, digging deep into your values and what humanity means to you, because that will make your work different to what anything a robot could produce. So, yeah. (laughs) So thank you for tuning in to Spark Minds. Don't forget to subscribe to get a new episode on creativity every month. You'll find all references for the episode in the show notes and more information on how to connect with me, Virginie, at www.virginiepython.com. Today's creativity quote comes from Albert Einstein, and it is actually by him, I double-checked. I am enough of an artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination encircles the world.